Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story with your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Hustle Podcast. My name is Rodney Hu. I'm your host today, as always, and I'm joined by another very special guest, Dr. Roxy Mooney. She is the healthcare commercialization strategist and digital health advisor for Legacy DNA. And Dr. Roxy helps health tech innovators uncover their most profitable and viable market strategies from early adopting early adoption strategies to pivoting. She transformed 20 years of business practice, seven years of researching, over 500 plus peer-reviewed articles, and 160 plus interviews with health innovators into a repeatable method to go from an idea to full-scale adoption. She advises startups and emerging healthcare brands and has been involved in three successful exits. So it sounds pretty interesting to me. So I'm excited to have her on and give her an opportunity to share her story. Um, so with that being said, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here today, Rodney. Good no to be problem. here with you. So yeah, let's just jump into it. Um, why don't you give people a brief background of kind of who you are and how you got into the healthcare industry? Yeah. So early in my career, I found myself in a number of marketing roles. And so I've been a marketing practitioner for about 20 years now. I worked, started working with an uh, innovator and entrepreneur in the mid, early to mid 2000s. And, and I was the chief marketing communications officer for five healthcare brands. So I really got immersed in the world of healthcare earlier on in my career. And found, um, you know, all of the innovation that was going to be happening in healthcare, very exciting and decided that that's where I wanted to kind of focus my career was helping some entrepreneurs build brands from the ground up, including one that was a pay for performance business model before the affordable care act even existed. So it was very, very exciting and cutting edge at the time. And after I did that for a few years, I decided to go out on my own and start legacy DNA. We started off as a healthcare marketing agency and a few years in, I decided to go back to school, get my doctorate in business. And as I say, they, they ask you, what's the business problem that you want to be married to for the next five to seven years of your life? Because you're going to be eating, sleeping and drinking with this thing. <laughs> and they're not joking. You really are. <clears throat> And so going back to that, er, those early experiences and seeing how, you know, healthcare really needed to be transformed with, through innovation, but I come across this statistic that 95% of innovations that are brought to market fail to reach any adequate level of customer adoption or financial ROI. And honestly, that just really struck me. I thought, how are we going to really fix and transform the healthcare industry if majority of the innovations that, you know, people bring to market aren't going to get in the hands of the people that need them the most? So I decided at that point that I wanted to um, really uncover what were the commercialization strategies that innovators needed to deploy to be successful and what are the things they needed to avoid, um, you know, to be part of that 5% that succeeds. So from there, about maybe five to seven years ago, I um, finished school and trans, uh, started a different division within the company. So we have a healthcare agency division, and then we also have a commercialization division. And so we're able to, you know, meet um, an innovator's needs, whether they are at the idea stage or where they have had a lot of commercial success and they're just really looking to cross the chasm or scale their businesses. Awesome. Nice. And I think what you're doing is really valuable because 
I've talked to a lot of people in the healthcare and me and you both know like healthcare is very slow to adopt new trends and whatnot, but the impact that healthcare has on people's lives is very important. And so your role of helping people with their branding, helping people get their message out there is super valuable and needed. Um, But from your experiences, what sort of excites you most about the potential of kind of marketing for the healthcare industry and helping these brands get their message out? Yeah, I mean, I would say part of what's most exciting um, about marketing or, you know, building that brand awareness and demand is is just really seeing what other industries are doing and bringing that to the healthcare marketing, uh, I mean, healthcare side. Um, healthcare is usually about five to 10 years behind other verticals. And so really being able to stay on the cutting edge of business strategy or marketing product strategy and bringing that to healthcare to help those companies um, you know, leapfrog the competition. Okay. And then how do you go about like educating your market on the importance of like growth and these new innovation strategies? Because like you said, they're always behind. And I know like these people are smart. They're always looking for new ways to yeah. do it. But how, how are you, you been finding success educating your market? So, I mean, honestly, that really takes us back to what we're doing here today. So, um, you know, everything is really around content. Con- what I think they stopped saying that it was the king or the queen and now content's the emperor, right? Oh, nice. <laughs> and so being able to create quality content, valuable content, I think is just really critical to every company's marketing program or commercialization strategy today. And the podcast um, becomes a really amazing platform to facilitate that kind of content creation. So it gives me an opportunity to um, uh, be a host and produce. So I uh, produce the all the content for the Health Innovator Show, which is a show that I've had for the last two and a half years. And um, and then to also be a guest on other people's show, like like what we're doing here today and being able to have conversations about the struggles and the challenges that we're all facing in the marketplace and being able to offer some of my expertise and guidance around those strategies and tactics to help circumvent those challenges. Awesome. And see, like you're a fellow content creator like me. I started this podcast really to just be able to interview other like like-minded individuals, other smart people, be able to pick their brains. Um, um, And from your end, you're a podcast host as well, interviewing a bunch of smart people. So as a host, as a creator, is there anything that you learned from interviewing these people that kind of really stuck out to you? How much time do we have? (laughs) Because they're brilliant. You know, every, I feel really strongly that every single person has a story to tell and everyone, there's something to be learned um, from everyone's lived experience. So it's kind of a continuous flow of qualitative research through every conversation. And so I learn something um, or I'm inspired or inspired and learn something from every single guest that I have on the show. And then also over time, you're able to see a lot of patterns within the interviews as well. So I can see that there are very distinct characteristics amongst the uh, innovators that I'm interviewing that are in the New England area versus those that are in Silicon Valley. 
like what they inherently bring to market and what they inherently um, uh, their experience and what what are some of the gaps usually in their commercialization strategy there, believe it or not, are some patterns. So once you're creating that content and having those continuous conversations over time, you start to see some of those things. And then that just helps you shape the conversation or shape the content that you're creating differently to make sure that you're always delivering value. Ah, yeah. That's interesting. And it's it's like another hidden benefit, right? When you're creating content, you're not only finding these patterns and being able to identify common problems, but you're also just like creating content and collaborating with other like-minded individuals, putting content out there together. And your name is attached to that name and kind of leveraging each other's credibility. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a lot more benefits to that. Um, so out of all the content that you do create, is there any content that kind that you would recommend people start out with for those people who are like, all right, I do want to start focusing on, on creating content and um, putting stuff out there around my brand, but I don't know where to start. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, when you're first starting out, I don't think that you have to go fully invested in a podcast show. You can simply, um, you know, just do a couple of interviews and, um, you know, create those pieces of content and see how that works for you um, as being able to be a, a host and be able to facilitate those conversations. I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, we're not the hero of the story. So really being able to focus on shining a spotlight on uh, a conversation with someone else and being able to give them a platform to shine, I think is really important. Uh, you know, I usually have like a mix of 70% um, target customers and 30% key influencers. And so I think that's a good content strategy um, to have in mind when you're getting started. But even if, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to build a podcast show, if that seems a little bit overwhelming, I can't really commit to that type of um, ongoing content creation, um, you know, recording a few episodes, being able to publish that get feedback from your audience and kind of use that as a feedback loop to see what you do next. Nice. Yeah. And this is kind of like, I guess this is a personal question just cause I kind of been following your content and like your show, but how has creating content in general, not just the podcasting, but how has that helped your company and your branding as far as from like a business perspective and creating new opportunities? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of layers to it, right? So it is um, allows me to have to build more credibility and authority, like you said earlier, about aligning myself with other uh, people that are in the industry. There's there's that increased credibility and authority because of that association. So that certainly helps. But also when you think about just real business impact, um, it it generates leads. So it can be twofold. So I can have a conversation with someone else, put that content out on LinkedIn, for example, because I really focus on that platform and start to get inbound leads where people are saying, wow, you know, you, you, I, I see your expertise. I see your experience. I see all this content that you're putting out. And um, I want to learn more about what you do and how you might be able to help me. So we're seeing that, that continuous flow of inbound leads through the LinkedIn platform because of this type of uh, engaging content that we're putting out. And so that's really beneficial. And then also 
um, using the podcast as a, as a direct sales tool, being able to identify who are the people that you want to do business with, right? Who's your dream 50, your dream 100 and targeting them to be potential guests on the show. Um, I mean, it's just a no brainer uh, knocking on someone's door, especially today after the pandemic, right, um, is much more difficult access to those target prospects. People don't have time to sit through your sales pitch um, and hear how you want to, you know, sell them your stuff. (laughs) But if you, right, but if you reach out to them and you say, hey, would you like to be a guest on my show? They're a lot more um, keen to clear their calendar um, to be a guest. And then that facilitates the conversation. And that gives you a chance to be able to get in front of them and get to know them and not immediately just start to sell them um, because you want to add value, but just being able to open the door and start having, um, you know, a conversation and build rapport, just like you would at a conference or a trade show. You're just facilitating this through virtual channels. Nice. Yeah. And I like podcasting because it's more of an organic approach. I feel like when people are pursuing marketing stuff, they often look at like paid advertising and like, what's the immediate ROI. So like, what would you say to people who are like, who aren't all in on content because they don't see an immediate ROI? Yeah. There's a lot of people out there that are generating tons of content that aren't seeing any business impact. Just like there's a lot of people that are investing in social media that aren't seeing business impact. So just because you're doing something and you're busy doesn't necessarily mean you're effective, right? So being able to create the right content for the right audience, having the right strategy um, for for uh, for everything that we do is, is so critical. Um, you know, the headline for a piece of content can be a game changer. <laughs> um, the call to action on a piece of content can make a difference on whether that's going to drive business or not. So being really strategic and having a systematic structure of how you're aligning your marketing, your content, and your sales into one cohesive strategy, I think is really important because if you don't have that, then you'll just be busy. You'll be creating a lot of episodes, but um, and you might even like stroke your ego and feel really good about it, but um, but not necessarily have any business impact. So that's that's really important. Mm, okay. Man, I like I like the way that your mind thinks about like content, just really leveraging the power of the internet to maximize your message and reach an audience. But, but kinda- and it's funny, Rodney, because what you're saying right now is goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. Like it seems so elementary right now in healthcare, but other industries have been doing this for like at least a decade, if not longer. <laughs> And right, and so it's. I can't tell you how um, funny and frustrating it is. You know the amount of phone calls that we got last year from healthcare brands that are like, you know, there's the pandemic. I can't fly and visit my target customers. I can't go to a trade show. I think I'm going to start investing in some digital marketing. And you're like, oh my gosh, we're crying out loud. It's 2021 and it took a global pandemic for you to go, hey, maybe I need to engage digitally, which leads to some content creation um, or hopefully leads to some content creation. It's, it's. Um, I guess, you know, it's better late than never, um, but 
it's exciting to see more and more people that are creating more of a hybrid strategy of I'm not just waiting for the trade shows to start back up again, but I'm realizing the real uh, productivity gains and um, business impact I can have by engaging people through digital channels. Nice. And then are there any sort of trends, I guess, that you're starting to see with these companies, these digital health companies that are starting to open up and be more receptive to digital marketing? Like, hey, we're going to try A, B or C or something like that. Yeah, I think there's a huge paradigm shift. Um, you know, there's folks that are comfortable being on camera. There's folks that are not comfortable, but they realize how critical it is for their business. So they're willing to go there. And then there's other folks that are like, no, 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 no. I have a radio face and they just refuse to get on camera. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and so, um, I think everybody has a video face, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And everybody needs to learn how to get comfortable on camera because even when the trade shows open back up and they're happening now, right? And we can start and we see access opening back up. Digital is, is still going to be a very important and viable channel for business strategy and sales and marketing. And Video breaks through the noise. Video allows us to be able to get to know someone and their personality a lot more um, than like static content, a lot lot better than like text-based posts or just image-based posts. Um, It's funny. I have a lot of people that I've never met before that feel like they know me really, really well, like maybe even close as close as my family <laughs> or some as close as some of my business contacts because of all the video content that I've produced um, with a lot of authenticity, I think, and transparency about just being real. And so then people get a chance to build a relationship with me, even though we've never had a conversation. Um, I would say that that's definitely something that we want to embrace. Nice. It's like kind of like an icebreaker, I guess. And it's it's interesting too, because like once you're consistent with it, like you said, people just start, you start attracting people based off of just your own personality and then yeah. your personality is what draws them in, but then the content is what keeps them. And um, I follow you, like I said, and you're really active on LinkedIn. And so I kind of wanted to ask you like, why LinkedIn platform? What was the value? What is the benefit of being having a presence on LinkedIn? Yeah, so it's interesting. So e- LinkedIn is evolving as a platform. Um, they still have a long way to go. I think they fall behind a lot of the other um, platforms like uh, Facebook or you know Twitter in a lot of ways. But I think LinkedIn is really valuable for B two B engagement. And although we do both B2B and B2C, we focus heavily on the business to business market. So um, LinkedIn becomes the ideal platform to have those business conversations and create business content. Um, And um, the algorithm is always changing. So, and it's changed even a lot just since the pandemic. So you'll see, you know, like the content mix that I put out, there's a very strategic and intentional mix between text-based posts, image-based posts, and video. So 
right now LinkedIn's algorithm will put a lot of weight on text-based and image-based posts, um, but people get to know you better on video. So although the number of views that you get might be different between different types of content, each one might have its own unique value. And the reason why LinkedIn, I think, has so much huge opportunity um, is because, um, you know, they're kind of like where Facebook was seven, eight, 10 years ago. Um, as far as it's, it's getting louder every day, but there's so many people that aren't leveraging LinkedIn and aren't leveraging it from an organic standpoint. So there's huge, huge opportunity. A lot of the sales navigator tools that are available, um, you know, allow you to be really hyper-targeted and being able to build your network and being able to engage with the right people. Um, so it's just, it's, I think every single B2B company out there should have a really strong LinkedIn, um, plan in place that again, leads to real business impact, not just a lot of, is a lot of, of vanity, um, content and vanity metrics. Yeah. I feel like LinkedIn is still a gold mine. It's like, you got to get in now before it turns into like Facebook where it kind of becomes oversaturated. Like yeah. Facebook is still valuable, I think, but LinkedIn is, there's still a lot of potential, a lot of opportunity for people to take advantage of as long as you go about it the right way, you know? Cause there's, there are a lot of spammers and stuff like that still just like on any platform. Um, but from your perspective, <clears throat> what are some mistakes that people should avoid when trying to grow their presence on LinkedIn? So I heard someone call it the leg hump and I, I really like that. So I've been, I've stole it from them and I keep using it. Um, so, you know, they've got a lot of salespeople, right. Who have built really successful careers doing trade shows and face-to-face -face sales. Um, and then they're trying to use those same strategies and tools in digital, and it just really doesn't work. Right. So I'm not going to be able to send someone a connection request on LinkedIn and just try to start leg humping them, which to me is like, I'm just going to start, um, um, trying to sell my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. I'm just going to spam you with, you know, five, 10, 20 messages um, until you start disconnecting from me, just trying to sell you my stuff. So um, I think that's a huge paradigm shift that when we're talking about content on LinkedIn, like I've literally seen people share their brochures on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, you don't want to share your brochure on LinkedIn. Um, you want to figure out your, you want to be laser focused on who your target audience is, understand the problems and the challenges that they face, and then create content that has nothing to do directly with your offer, but you are providing providing value, um, how to solve those problems, making their life easier, making their life better. And then that starts to cultivate that relationship. And there's a place for direct sales. There's a place for being able to share what you have to offer with someone, but it's way further in the journey when someone already knows, likes, and trusts you, then you've earned the right to pitch them. But anything earlier is just considered selfish and annoying. And when when we're talking about LinkedIn or digital channels, it's really easy for people to just turn you off and completely block you. Um, so we have to be very cognizant of that. Nice. You don't want to ask someone to marry you on the first date, pretty much. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. You want to court them first for a while. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. Um, yep. And so 
I know some people would probably be thinking like, yeah, I started a business. I have this idea of how I want to bring my solution out to the market. And I feel like that's important, but that's not the same thing as marketing. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what's the difference between having a market strategy versus a marketing strategy? And which one is more beneficial, more important to focus on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think every business needs to have all of them. And, and the way I just define the distinction is a market strategy is much more broader and it's your business strategy or your commercialization strategy. Um, It's including your, your business model um, and all of the decisions that are going alongside with that marketing on the other hand is really about creating awareness and creating demand, but there's so many decisions that you would make in your market strategy before you ever get to, now I need to promote and create demand for this particular solution. So market strategy would be kind of identifying, well, of all of the different target markets that I could pursue, which one am I going to go after? And then getting to know them really intimately and deeply. And then what so there's all of these different solutions that I can bring to the market or to this target audience. But how am I going to marry this problem solution fit where I'm going to actually bring something that's going to be of value to a particular target market, wrestling and working through all of those different options and figuring out what your business is going to be about. That's all of the market strategy. And then, like I said, when we're getting to how am I going to promote this? How am I going to build awareness and create demand for what I have to offer? Um, that's where you're getting more into the marketing lane. Mm, okay. Great question, though, because I think most people don't understand the difference. A lot of health innovators that um, approach us, they will kind of skip over their market strategy. They, they're making those decisions, but they're usually making them a lot more unconsciously and not necessarily in a strategic plan. Um, and then come to us and say, hey, I need a logo and a website. Well, we can build a logo and we can, you know, create a website, but if you can have the most incredible logo and the most powerful 24 seven website, but if you don't have the right offer that's paired to the right target audience and the right messaging and positioning, then that you're throwing money away by investing in a logo and in a website. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so Thinking about it from like the businesses, business owner, that company's point of view, like there's a lot of different moving pieces and building blocks that need to be in place before you begin to expand. So like really building out that foundation. And so from your experience, what pieces of the puzzle need to be in place or should be in place before even approaching you or delegating tasks to a company like yours? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say it's as early as I have an idea, right? And so if if someone is reaching out to us that early, we typically can help them make a lot 
better decisions early on. And I call it better use of their organizational resources. Um, Sometimes we might get prospects that will come to us much later and they've already wasted millions of dollars on the wrong strategy or the wrong approach. And so we're having to kind of undo or unwind some of those previous decisions. Some of that is just natural because it's just the natural pivoting and evolution of a business. But the earlier and sooner we get them um, where I have an idea, then we can help them test that business idea, make sure that there is um, demand for what they want to bring to market before they start investing millions of dollars into, let's say, a product, a technology solution. Um, that that early stage is really important. So I say that you know everything that we do is helping people figure out their path to profit. And it's really around three different stages. It's pre-launch, um, pilot, and then I think like profit. Profit would be like the hockey stick stage of, of growth. And so, um, you know, I think just because of our long-term experience in the industry uh, around commercialization, we have so many different services, so many different things that we could do for our target customers. And so going through this diagnosis um, process and being able to help understand where are they, what decisions have they already made, what are some of those gaps, where are those areas of improvement, and then being able to come up with a prescriptive plan based upon that diagnosis. Um, there's a lot of people out there right now that are throwing really good money um, after the, the wrong problem, the problem that doesn't even exist. Like, hey, I got an idea. Let me build a sales strategy. Let me extend our sales strategy, a structure and plan and platform when really their messaging is what's disconnecting. And so building out the sales strategy and building out a more robust BRD staff is really going to be a waste of resources. So that diagnosis upfront is really important to make sure that we're investing resources in the right problem. Nice. And so from, from your point of view or your perspective at Legacy, I feel like you wear a lot of different hats. You're running a business, you're hosting a podcast, you're creating content. So my question to you is, how are you doing this all? Like, are you a one-man <laughs> show or do you have a team? What's your secret? Right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's a lot of business owners really face that, right? What um it's never a one one woman show. It's always takes a village, right? <laughs> Uh, that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, it always I have an incredible team behind me, um, folks that I have worked with for 12, 13 sometimes even 15 years that we've worked together. Um, And so that's really, really exciting journey that helps us, helps focus on the things that uh, they do really well. So that way I have the capacity to focus on my strengths and in the expertise that I, unique expertise that I have that I can bring to market. So part of what we've done really early on in the business is really going through this um, professional growth process really understanding each team member and what what are their strengths, what are their capabilities and their talents, and then making sure that they're placed in those types of roles. And for me as a leader, recognizing my weaknesses, recognizing my strengths and putting a culture and a team in place to where I can't do it all. Um, And I would, even if I could, I wouldn't be good at doing it all. 
And so making sure that we've got um, people that are helping to engage on social media, helping to stay abreast of all of those different algorithm changes on the platforms, being able to help with the post-production of the show and, um, you know, and operations being able to, you know, run the company as well. So I can still be out there and building the brand and creating demand for whatever we have to offer. Nice. Yeah. So do you think it's, what, what do you prioritize first building that operational aspect and having the system in place or just bring, bringing awareness to the brand and what you guys are trying to do, the problem yeah. you guys are trying to solve? Yep. Um, so for me, um, I am not an operation person. I am much more of a visionary and I don't think in systems and processes. I am much more scattered and all over the place. A lot of typical entrepreneurs <laughs> um, and visionaries. And so being able to have uh, that right-hand person that is my counterpart, um, I have a, a chief operating officer who um, and slash innovation manager who thrives on systems and processes. And so she's always saying like, Hey, you know, like we're not going to do this twice without having a system and a process in place behind it. And the efficiencies that the team has across all of these different activities, um, is incredible. And then it increases our productivity. So I definitely don't focus on the operations of the business. I focus much more on the vision and strategy and being able to offer strategy, strategy engagements to our clients. Nice. So really just understanding what your strengths are and then delegating out the weaknesses to really maximize productivity. Yes, Um, absolutely. Nice. So we're and I love up. being able to have conversations with people like you, like we're doing today, <laughs> um, being able to talk about these, um, you know, topics and phenomenons is just, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I really enjoy producing our show. Um, you know, just getting to meet new people and hearing their story is, is something that is very gratifying. And in a lot of ways, sometimes it's my favorite part of the week. Nice. Yeah. It's fulfilling. <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> um, For so, so many different reasons. Yeah. So we're coming up towards the end of the interview, um, but I have one more question for you um, before we end on the last exercise. And it's what sort of advice would you have for companies and brands who are really looking to amplify their message and reach a wider audience by leveraging the internet and digital marketing? Um. I would say the number one strategy that I recommend for every B2B company without even having to do a diagnostic. So I'm, I'm a big um, advocate of like, uh, what is the same, a prescription without a diagnostics is malpractice. But in this particular case, I'm going to actually do it. Um, I think every B2B company should have a podcast show. not looking for volume, but a niche-based show that's tied to having conversations for their target market, you are missing something tremendous in your business if you don't have a podcast strategy as part of your um, commercialization or marketing and sales program. It's it's huge. So I think that's the number one thing that I can um, recommend for all of your listeners no matter where they are in their product phase or their business stage, um, whether they're just starting out or whether they're much more um, further down that growth stage podcast. 
and video show. If you're going to do it, you might as well turn the video on and and create that video content for YouTube instead of just the audio content for the podcast players. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I agree a hundred percent. Like you mentioned in the beginning, like if people think that, oh, they just have a radio face. (laughs) Like that's kind of my mindset in the beginning where I was like, man, I don't want to be on camera. I don't want video. I don't like writing. I'm not going to do text, but I could talk, you know? (laughs) Right, right. And as I do it more, like I get comfortable just being able to just be on Zoom, you know, because yeah. that's what we used to record and just being on camera and having that yeah. video content, being able to repurpose it and post it on YouTube or other social media platforms. I think it's super valuable, really, to maximize all of your efforts, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from one episode, you can create anywhere like 30 to 50 pieces of content. Where else could you invest like an hour or two and have that kind of, um, you know, waterfall content strategy? <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so honestly, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like you're creating content, you know, it just feels like right now we're just having a conversation, but during this conversation, there's so many gold nuggets that you were dropping and knowledge bombs that I'm going <laughs> to go and pick out to promote, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's fun, right? It's, (laughs) it really is. And it's, it's really fun to have an organic conversation. You know, there's a lot of podcast shows in healthcare right now, certainly more than ever. A lot of them really focus on the technology, right? Because AR and VR and, you know, digital therapeutics, all of these technologies are like super sexy, Um, great conversation. But the reality is, is that's not, when we go back to that statistic of the 95%, people aren't failing to commercialize their innovations because they have crappy technology. They're failing because they don't have a, the right commercialization strategy. So it's so important and marketing plays a key role in that. So it's so important for people like you and I to create space for these types of conversations to go alongside with those technology conversations um, so that way they can be part of the 5% that succeeds, so that way they can get their innovation in the hands of the people that need them the most. So I think it's really important work, um, you know, what we're doing and be able to create the space for these types of business strategy conversations. Nice. I agree 100 <laughs> um, percent. So, yeah, we're coming up towards the end of the interview. I feel like I can just pick your brain all day. Um, but I like to end each episode on a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to ask you a couple questions and you just give me whatever answer you come up with. OK, scary, but let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Ooh, I would say Boundaries. Mm-hmm. Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, who is the most influential person in your life or career? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say probably one of the professors that I had in my master of leadership program who encouraged me from day one to go back to school and get my doctorate. It wasn't something that was even on my radar. It wasn't a goal or an aspiration, but I call it doctoral seeds. Those doctoral seeds that they planted inside of me motivated me to go back to school and get my doctorate. And it's been a game changer for my career, um, you know, as well as for my personal life. So um, I would give a shout out to Dr. Melvin Holder. Nice. Shout out Dr. Melvin Holder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? 
Oh, um, I want to grow the commercialization um, or innovation strategy side of our business in a way that we have never before, because I think that there's such a great need and I want to be able to help more people, help more corporate innovators, help more entrepreneurs so that way their innovations get into the hands of the people that need them. And we really transform the healthcare industry. Right now, we've got a lot of innovation. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's not a whole lot of adoption. And so we're going to see our healthcare system um, continue to get worse if we don't you know, um, do better. And so my goal is to be able to help more people, um, even been coming alongside, you know, people that might be considered my competitors, other strategists, other um, experts in the industry, and being able to share my frameworks with folks. So that way we can help more people make better decisions. Awesome. I like it. Um, and last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? Ooh, gosh, you know, that's something that I really do think about. And I pose that to other people. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't be afraid or be afraid and do it anyway. I think that's, yeah, just, um, you know, and uh, stay determined and persistent. And this is, I think, an inherent trait that I have because I'm so freaking stubborn. Um, but, you know, a lot of times we don't see results until we put, it's at A20, right? We put 80% of the effort before we start to see any types of um, benefit or return for what our, we've been investing in, that whole compound effect. And so most people, I think, quit right before they get to the benefit, right? So just keep pressing on and keep pressing in to the dreams that we have um, because we're probably just right around the corner from seeing the benefits and the results of the hard work that we've been putting in. Awesome. I think that's a perfect piece of advice and a great way to kind of end today's episode. So just want to thank you again, Dr. Roxy, for jumping on. Um, but before we go, where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about your show, about your company? Go ahead. Sure. It all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so our website is legacy-dna.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Roxy Mooney, R-O-X-I-E. And Mooney is like money with two O's. I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. So hook, uh, hook up or connect with me there. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all those links in the resources section. But with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.